and welcome to the Painter Bride Quarterly Slush Pile. We do all the curating, so you won't have to. You like that? Is that good? Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. All right, maybe not. Um, I don't know. uh, This podcast is designed to let you in on our editorial process. Um, So today we're going to discuss two poems, and it might take us a whole hour, and that's our editorial process, and we thought you should know. Um, So many exciting things to talk to you about, listeners, um, and the group. We'll see how much time we have at the end. I'm Kathleen Volkmiller, and I um, am... uh, essayist and director of the graduate program in publishing here at Drexel. And we are still in my blue cinder block office, or should I say back in, uh, but word has it will be in the studio soon. I'm trying to direct my voice today at the speaker because I have been getting feedback about the quality of the podcast having gone down a bit since we have been all speaking to a large ravioli. Um, (laughs) (laughs) To the ravioli's bad? The ravioli, <laughs> ravioli is like the source of complaint. A large ravioli yes. shaped microphone. What is she doing? Uh, Mayor, hi. Hi. Wait, are you asking me what I'm doing right now? I am sitting at my desk looking out at a very dark campus here at NYU Abu Dhabi. Um, all the, the evening lights are on and it looks lovely. Um, and it's, I was explaining earlier, it is outrageously hot, <laughs> meaning the weather here, um, it looks like the desert, but it feels like South Jersey in August, right? Like pure humidity. So um, for those of you who know me with curly hair, my, my hair might be 10 inches off the top of my head at this point, looking very much like a Chia pet or a microphone. So um, what can you do me a giant favor? Let's see if she has the nerve for this. Can you do that thing where you pull your hair out and like make antennas and you know what? I, I you know what? I, I, I don't know that I have the courage for that. That is such a private, <laughs> intimate exchange of images between the two of us. And for podcast listeners, what this is like, you know, Kathy and I would um, Skype each other like early in the morning or, you know, when I would just wake up and with morning hair, my hair tends to stay in whatever direction you pull it in. <laughs> so it always, it looks like I'm either angry or surprised at all times. So perhaps there will be an image to go with that. Okay. Well, your voice sounds terrific. So you're okay, good. talking into what kind of microphone? I, I have earbuds, um, Apple earbuds, and I'm speaking into the microphone attached to those earbuds. And in my family, this is a big deal because my husband and I are forever chasing each other, yelling that he has my earbuds or I have his earbuds. So whosoever earbuds these are, they work. Uh huh. It's kind of like the good scissors. Who took the good mm-hmm. scissors? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Hi, Jason. I Hi. Where are you? I'm in Tribeca. I'm in my office at the Borough of Manhattan Community College. Um, the new semester has started, and it's exciting. It's actually it's actually been very good so far. I have a department yeah. meeting today, so I have to be on campus. Oh, oh, got you. Yeah, I love when the meetings are not on the same days I teach. That's my favorite. Mm. Uh, it's fine. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. yeah. Well, good to see you too, or hear your voice at least. And um, in the office with us today is Tim Fitz. Hey, Tim. Hello. Hey, Tim Fitz. Hi, Marion. And um, I've been teaching here at Drexel for a few years and reading with a painted bride quarterly. I'm a short story writer and novelist. Sitting next to me is Cherie. 
Hi, guys. Hi, Sheree. Hi, Marion. Hi, Jason. Um, I'm Sheree DeVos, and I am the co-op for PPQ. Um, and I'm a third-year student at Drexel studying multiple things. And, and very sick right now. Yeah. Oh, I can hear that cold. Really sexier than usual <laughs> because she has a cold. Um, it is her last episode with us as co-op. But I have already, um, I hope, made abundantly clear that uh, she's got an open door free ticket anytime she would like to join us again. I would uh, love it. Yay. So, yeah. And we have Joseph Kent with us today, too, who will be the next co-op. It's Welcome. Week. Yeah. Hi, Joseph. Hello, Joseph. He dropped right into the fire here. Uh, first day meeting and a reading podcast today and then two days at Temple University's Philolalia Poetry Festival. Oh, nice. Friday. So he's uh, straight into the fire, which I always feel like the co-ops that we... Um, what is that called? You know, when you put the metal in the fire, a brand. Right. Well, that's when you put like metal. when you brand something. But I think that's actually both the, both the thing and the it's the act. Right? Like you you put the brand in the fire and then you use it to brand the cow. Well, you all know what I'm talking about. When you put the metal in the fire to shape it into the thing. Forge. Forge. That's forge. the word. Oh, uh, our sound engineer is the one who found that word. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> um, it sounds like Game of Thrones. <laughs> I, I like that guy, that forger. <laughs> I think he might get one of the spinoffs. I'm thinking because he's got that hope. Big, big hammer. <laughs> new way. All right. Well, and and any any time you're in a forge, you're kind of sweaty. <laughs> and you're kind of dirty. He's got guns and he's slightly sweaty at all times. Yeah. Oh, wait, is this, wait, is this Joseph, 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 the intern, Joseph, the intern has, has guns and he's sort of sweaty. Is this, is this what you're saying? <laughs> no, the, um, forger on Game of Thrones. The oh, of course, of course. Thanks. Um, um, so anyway, let's, let's, there's no way to transition out of that. So we're just going to say then that's that. Um, <laughs> So if you would like to uh, read along with us, read before you press pause on me and then come back or whatever you would like. These poems are on our podcast page at pbqmag.org. And uh, we have two poems by two different authors today. And um, the first one up is George McDermott. And I nominate Jason. Oh, all right. Uh oh. All right. Uh, frames per second. You whomped out. By George McDermott. <laughs> Sorting old photos and cans of home movies, she comes across a yellowing shot of a laughing girl, her younger daughter, the one who moved to Arizona, or who knows where, because truth be told, they haven't talked in a very long time. About 10 in the picture, probably 10 when they sang together every day before the eyes, the defiant shoulders, the silent years when it seemed they met only on stairways, passed only in doorways, and the cameras were pretty much packed away. She puts the photo back safe in its folder, opens a can and threads the projector, and the reel of film flickers to life, ratcheting through from moment to moment, enough pictures to create the illusion of motion, enough motion to create the illusion of progress. Playpens and sandboxes, bicycles, and then... The interstitial flash of white, just six or eight light struck frames, dividing what came before. 
from what will follow. Lovely. Thank you so much. Snap. That was a beautiful reading. Beautiful. <laughs> Joseph Kent is snapping in the room right now. That's funny. Don't Joseph, snap. Joseph Kent. Snapping. No, but clap. Joseph Clapping is fine. Snapping. Oh. This forged in two <laughs> days, this, this guy. Forged in two days. And here he is. Uh, but I think I overstepped, uh, Jason. I was hearing a little reverb from your voice and I spoke for you when you said this poet's name is George McDermott. And the poem that we just heard so beautifully was frames per second. Um, So what do we think? Love the ending. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Ending Mm -hmm. is gorgeous. So, and I also love the way that this plays with form and that you get one, two, three, four stanzas and no punctuation whatsoever in those stanzas. Um, And I think that was part of the joy of listening to Jason read this thing um, was the way he was almost like the musicianship of these lines was coming through in Jason's reading. Um, And I, and, and I would also say that the lack of punctuation really highlights the sort of cinematic quality of the grammar, right? Like without pauses, without commas, without periods, these pieces are sort of juxtaposed like grammatical pieces are juxtaposed that you have to find the flow. And that feels almost like a cinematic reel of images spooling by. I will, I will say I did find the syntax hard in the yeah. first couple of stanzas. Um, I, I would have liked some punctuation there. Um, and there's a, a number of places where on a first read, it was really disorienting mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. to kind of put together where all the syntax goes. Yeah. I just have to be honest and say that I've read this a couple times and did find it a little difficult. Like Jason said, like the first read is a little hard because of the lack of um, punctuation. But then um, I did kind of like the lack of punctuation because it does. Um, I was thinking, like Marion said, it does force you to find the the, um, the flow and the rhythm in that thing when you're reading it aloud. Um, so I, it turns out that I kind of I, I like it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, it justifies it, the, the device by the end, right? You, you groove on it. You go, okay, you know. Mm-hmm. Very nice. I like the use of, uh, it, it's of, of informal language at times. I guess I'm specifically thinking about mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, cause, truth be told, we're pretty much packed away. I like the very conversational and formal tone about this heavier thing. It probably, it probably helps, right? I mean, maybe it's even a risk to write about photographs of your children, right? Like, how do you get away with that and not be overly sentimental or, or right. Right. But we, we also know that it's not the author, right? Because I mean, it's a, she, and I mean, I mean, maybe I shouldn't assume that George McDurbin is a man, but um, that, I mean, for me, was enough to kind of, um, it's not in first person. So there was like this mm-hmm. sort of sense mm-hmm. of distance for me that came kind of through, through those two pieces. I, I didn't feel like this was a memory. I felt like this was um, a story. Uh-huh. <laughs> Tim, unusually quiet over um, there in the corner. Yeah, I I feel like, yeah, she comes, uh, George McDermott comes dangerously close to being overly sentimental, but seems to mm. getting there, which I really like. Um, I'm, I don't I, I don't mind the language at the end of the first stanza or who knows where, because truth be told, I just wonder if it wasn't there 
we would have gotten that sense anyway, because we see the change in the daughter it's, uh, shifting from uh, the happy child to a defiant teenager and beyond. Um, it doesn't kill it for me, but I wonder if I would have gotten there anyway. So yeah, I like uh, I anytime you can get to sentimental territory without being sentimental, I think is a real accomplishment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That, that language in the second stanza tripped me up along with everybody else, and I'm not sure how crazy I am about it. I don't. I still don't think it's a deal breaker area for me. It's just. It tends, I mean, here, when I was reading it, I was thinking, yeah, I really don't like that. Then when I heard Jason read it, I thought, eh, it sounds all right. I, I mean, so maybe it was my fault for not reading it. Someone can read it like that, and evidently there's no problem. So it was my issue. I don't want to hold that against the poem. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, the images are nice. I like, there's a lot of concrete details with the cans and the, uh, and the film and the uh, the interstitial flash of white. That's a great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I wish I this wasn't on the air so I could steal it. <laughs> hey, hey, Tim, Tim can, can I ask you? Can I ask you a, a favor? My dear, I, I'm actually having trouble, a little trouble hearing, right? And it's not because I'm an old fart, but I have a hunch. Can you scooch closer to the, to the ravioli? Yeah. Are you far away from the ravioli? Because I'm sick. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's because Cherie's sick. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> My love couch. I can, can you- <laughs> That's even farther. No, but I'm... <laughs> I'm sorry. All right. I'm sorry to make you all play gymnastics. <laughs> if Tim gets sick, now he gets to, I mean, blame you instead of Cherie. That's Cherie. All. That's it. That's all right. All right. <laughs> can you hear me better now? Yeah, actually, I can. That's great. So yeah, That's the language great. I like. I like the uh, flirting with sentimental territory. Not crazy mm-hmm. about the the uh, clog in the second stanza and the last two lines of the first stanza. But again, those aren't deal breakers and the clog in the second stanza evidently is my issue. (laughs) I wasn't even going to point that out, Tim. (laughs) (laughs) Are you you following? On on the note of stealing, are you following the plagiarism scandal in Canada? No, what's going the, on? The poet laureate who just died, um, oh. Pierre uh, de Rousseau, plagiarized Maya Angelou and Tupac Shakur. <laughs> in the same poem. No, in, in different poems. Like it's so great, it was in the same poem. No, it's it's and it was really like. Um, like the the de Rousseau poem is like you can wipe me from the I'm looking at it now you can wipe me from the pages of history with your twisted falsehoods you can drag me through the mud but like the wind I rise and it's like are you serious yeah because like you may write me down in history with your bitter twisted lies you may trod me in the very dirt but still like dust I rise is the Maya Angelou original and apparently like he was just thinking that if he didn't um like I don't know, he was uh, he was just thinking. I I don't know. Like he thought like if he plagiarized black people, like Canadians wouldn't have read it. I mean, it's just it's insane. Um, yeah, but he's dead, so like it's this weird. Um, wow. Yeah. Like he just died. So anyway, <laughs> but don't plagiarize, kids. It's not right. <laughs> they don't kill you. 
It's wrong. And even if you get away with it, your reputation can be destroyed after you're dead. Oh my God. Oh my Lord. I'm sorry. That's my public service announcement. Uh, we should get back to George McDermott's poem. All right. So listen, just a little bit more context since we're talking about plagiarism as a context and Tim Fitz stealing those awesome last lines. Um, not that Tim Fitz is a plagiarist. However, that impulse um, to be so moved by images um, to sort of clip them and keep them. Uh, do you know that it's the 25th anniversary, I think, of Cinema Paradiso? Um, th- that great Italian film that is about um, the sort of like, you know, about many things, but not the least of which is clipping out the kissing scenes in movies in the 40s. And that, um, and it's, so there's now this director's cut that's circulating. It's about three hours long and it is gorgeous. So you get a chance to, to catch the recut version of Cinema Party. So I would really recommend it. Um, and it's just a love song to movies. And in a way, I think uh, Frames Per Second is, is pointing in that direction too, how the image of the, the film is telling a little complicated, heartbroken love story too. So, and, and you know my love of, of obsolete technologies. Um, mm-hmm. That, you know, these, these kinds of home movies that come in cans haven't really existed since the 80s mm-hmm. um, when VHS and Betamax took over. And even in movie theaters now, you're very rarely actually watching like a... I, I was actually a movie projectionist like back when you actually had film. Um, but now it's, it, it's not. It's, it's not actually on, on film. And, yeah. and the, like the beauty of that white moment where like mm-hmm. the, the absence of the image that sort of like mm-hmm. the technology itself is being revealed because mm-hmm. there's nothing being projected and that space in between that kind of calls attention to how man made this is and constructed. Yeah. I thought that's really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I think we might be ready. I think so too, but I just want to know, Joe, yeah. what, what clip of Rick Moranis would you like us to put on the podcast? Maybe? <laughs> I just any anything in this tapping some some quality Tupac beats would be <laughs> okay. That on that's great. Wait, so but you know what though is is Joseph there? What does Joseph think? Did we hear from Joseph? About this <laughs> He's a fly on the wall. Remember? Oh, that's right. I forgot. But I was, I'm so excited by like, thinking of, of him as a sort of sweaty forger that I thought maybe. Was <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, fine. He has been forged. He is not a forger. <laughs> <laughs> see, see how fake news happens. <laughs> This is how rumors get started. But now that we've drawn out the dramatic tension, let's vote. Okay. One, two, three, vote. And it's in. And it's unanimous. I love when that happens. Yeah, George. McDermott. Well done. Thank you, thank you. So happy. And, um... Yeah, that was a, and that's a swell. We have a swell of people today, and everybody had a thumb up. So, wonderful, wonderful news. Um, what what is that word that Jason came up with? It's not nominated. What? Huh? Vol- like I want Marion to read voluntold. the next one. Oh, voluntold. voluntold. I voluntold. Voluntold. Oh. Uh, a voluntold. I've been voluntold. I, um, I'm getting a little. 
Joe. Yes. Why do sometimes Jason and Marion reverb right back at us? Should they not be mm. not too close to the mic for a sec? It's their internet connection. It's the internet. Oh. Yeah. I did. I got. I got it. I got a notification that my internet connection is unstable. I'm on the secured network. It's, it's 95% it's, I'm, fine, both of you. But every now and then we get a wall, you know. Yeah, so I didn't come yeah. before she started this. But um, go for it anyway, Mayor. We'll live through the one. All right. I hope you can live through my um, transformation into a robot because Lord knows that's probably what it sounds like when that womp womp happens. So just know that I am part robot. All right. Ready? Gabriel yeah. Tribute. This is Gabriel Tribute. I hope I'm saying that right. Tribute, Trubeau, Gabriel Trubeau. Um, and the poem is called The Loneliness of Mothers. The loneliness of mothers is louder than any after-school clamor. The mother hears it in early fall, one lane over, and escapes exhaust is bleeding, mixing into air, thin city air at the end of summer. Strum of a stilled, unmoving carpool line. The mother's child in the school doors away will soon be late for the meet. The mothers hear it at the dinner table in waiting rooms, left to wait, left to listen, to clock scratching. Stranger to the strangers they, she created once at night, during many nights, at morning, midday, among angry sheets or no sheets, dog brushed from bed, pawing behind closed door, the first baby asleep, sleeping, and later held to, her, held to breast, howling for warmth, that intangible, ungraspable mother warmth, gone before you know it. Outside, car doors grunt and close, children disappearing within. Along the horizon, meek clouds disperse. Hold her in the echoing emptiness of her darkened house, in the thin stretched minutes of carpool lines, at the between the scrape and rinse of dishes. Listen to her when she speaks, to her repeated stories, those rehearsed and practiced complaints, and handle gently the bolted fabric of her days. Thank you very much. There are a couple womps, but listeners, we apologize, and we especially apologize to Gabrielle Trebeau. Um, And you can read the uh, poem in its entirety on our pages. And, um, yeah, okay, so here we go. She's in the Ford Escape. <laughs> I don't think that's her escape. I think that's, like, the car next to her. Oh, right, that's that true. Escape. That's true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, like, when her children are there, she's just super sad? Super sad. Like, <laughs> she's left to wait, left to listen to the clock scratching, stranger to the strangers she created. Like, she doesn't, like, read a book or do something. Like, oh, am I reading wow. it wrong? Am I, am I sort of getting, like, the wrong... I think... I... I feel kind of similar to that. I feel like there's so many things you can do in the day. She's not sitting waiting for her freaking kids, guys. No, right, right. No, no. Can you play the mom card and like kind of talk us <laughs> through what's going on here? Because <laughs> I, 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 I will admit, like, I'm not a mother. And I, and I was like, I, I spent a lot of the poem being like, what? <laughs> I think that when you're a mom and your kids are young enough that one baby might still at your breast and one baby's going to school and all that stuff, 
you're always consciously thinking of the next thing you're going to have to do as that mom. Got it. You know what I mean? I think it's more about that kind of waiting, like the next need, you know, that will be, yeah, that will be uh, filled. To be honest, what I liked about it as a mom, where a lot of the images that people don't talk or think about, like all this stuff about the cars and the, you know, there is a lot of waiting. I'll say that too, though. You are waiting for the kid to get done soccer so you can go get done the next thing. You know what I mean? And waiting for, waiting, the doctor's offices are interminable. You're in the doctor's all the damn time when the kids are little. Like there's, there's a lot of waiting, but it's for the next thing. It's not despondently (laughs) with it, you know, and with, with not having anything else to do in between. It's having to be this patient waiter. I get it. But I, I, I want to jump in and say, but I think what the poem is about is the loss of that, that, that connection, right? So like it's the sense of, you know, when a child no longer needs you or when a child is sort of moving on, right? Like that loneliness is, that seems to be the thing that, that sort of flickers and fades and is quote gone too fast or, you know, many lines down there, quote, gone before you know it, right? So that it's like as if the sort of like mothers in this tribe, in this community, their ears prick up and can note the threat of that loneliness, right? Like that's what's being sensed from blocks away or one lane over, right? At least that was my my reading of it is this like constant potential of like loss and not being the the mother figure because the child no longer needs it. Right. At least that seems to be like underneath some of this. Sure. The echoing emptiness of her darkened house. Mm-hmm. Minutes of carpool lines. There, there's something. What do you think about the ending? You know, listen to her when she speaks to her repeated stories, those rehearsed and practiced complaints and handled gently the bolted fabric for her days. I mean, the sounds great. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I totally respect the prosody here. Um, but I don't know. How did you feel about that kind of representation of mothers as, I mean, maybe, and maybe I'm, I'm over interpreting it, but it was like mothers is these kind of like delicate, fragile, ignored creatures who need to be loved. <laughs> well, I, I'm only going to agree with the ignored. I don't know where the delicate and fragile is coming from. Well, handle gently the bolted fabric of her days. Mm-hmm. Well, I still sure. <laughs> <laughs> but that but that resonated for you as as like an accurate representation of. of... Well, I don't get this fragile, precious part that you're saying. Okay. I think our fly on the wall wants to say something. I don't think like handle gently the bolted fabric is necessarily calling mothers fragile. But it's like, you know, I feel like this last stanza here is sort of a call to the children who, like, do ignore their mothers and, like, roll their eyes at these stories and complaints (laughs) that they hear, right? And so, like, after sort of going through all this, you know, sound of the loneliness of mothers and, like, Mm -hmm. sort of telling these children, like, what their moms go through and, like, how they feel and how they experience waiting on them, it's like sort of a call to these kids to be good to their moms and you know don't roll your eyes and it's like those typical things you hear but like poetically put and like powerfully put you know it's interesting thank you for that you know what i'm thinking is fascinating too is if anybody should wrinkle 
personally, it would be me. Right. And I, you know, I never was quote unquote, just a mom. I always still had the, you know, the career going and everything that I didn't, you guys are using so many pejoratives here that I didn't feel, you know what I mean? The, the way moms are treated. I don't know. You guys are, are, I feel like the feedback I'm getting is that moms are being put in this really tight and confined and restricted space that I don't, I don't, this mom, the the poem is that we, we see the poem doing a work that you don't see it doing. Right. Or that I'm seeing the poem. What? Well, I, let me jump in and say, I think we can both agree. Like I've all parties can agree. This is really like a poem about the cult of motherhood, right? Like it is celebrating motherhood. We are meant to come away from this, like, um, awed by the capacity of mothers to do all that they do, right? And the tedium of the job sometimes, and also this sort of like prescient sense that they have and, and sensitivity to other, the potential of, of the loss of, of this thing, right? Um, so that, that seems to be like a fact of this poem. And then you've got the, you know, these parallel readings, right? On one hand, it, it feels like it does set up, you know, this kind of like wounded fragility and we should you know, all celebrate our mothers and their, and, and be respectful of them. Right. Um, but I also hear like, I'm taking Kathleen's point too, about the sort of, um, the, the truthfulness of, of the waiting and the tedium and the images that are, are, you know, on the nose, um, in the, in this way. Yeah. Yeah. For me, this dips too much into the sentimental territory. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The is bleeding the meat clouds, the echoing emptiness to me. I mean, I've lived that life too. I mean, still do. I mean, I drop right. them from school, I pick them up. I had the days when it was my turn to take care of the baby. And it's exactly what Kathleen said. You can't really do much because at the moment you get involved in something mentally, the baby wakes up. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's this, and then you got to go pick up the kids. Everything is one thing to the next thing. And very, very short spurts. Yeah. And yeah. It's, it takes a lot of energy. Um, and it does time sometimes, and, you know, it, it does rain on you at times, but I, for me, the language here, I mean, I, I sympathize. I mean, I, I get what Kathleen's saying, but I don't get it in the poem. To me, mm-hmm. the sentimental stuff is, is the turnoff to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I totally sympathize with the experience. Right. So, um, I'm there for half of it, but not there for the other half and i i think like the other poem the other poem it's like i said dangerously close to sentimental territory but somehow escapes it if it had gone into that territory with three or four words i would have been out in a heartbeat and mm. the same thing is here it's you know it might be a small surgical procedure from being completely remedy remedy but right now it kind of just it brings me down in a way that I don't want to be brought down about that experience. Yeah. What I mean. Yeah. I feel like that's kind of the point though. You know, it's supposed to like drive home this message. That's not necessarily supposed to make you feel good about, you know, what Turbo is commenting on here. Like, that's what I get, you know, it's like that sentimental value and like all these images that she's playing up that sort of build up this sound of silence that can like drive people crazy. Yeah, yeah. It's like, that's the sort of thing that she's trying to drill into your head. And, like, I get that, but I don't want the poem 
like this to bring me down. I want this poem to allow me to uh, be more connected to that world, to be more appreciative of that mm-hmm. world, mm-hmm. and to connect my experience to that world. I mean, I've, I, I know mostly it's not dads that have this experience, but I've had some of this experience, and I feel mm-hmm. connected to it. And I feel like that, that a poem like this could really add a value to my life and everyone who's experienced this. Um, if it doesn't drag it down into the into the sort of poor, poor, pitiful me territory that it seems like it gets pretty close to. I see what you're saying there because at first, um, with like my first read, I'm like, if you're going to talk about loneliness, I feel like you have to be kind of um, like to a degree pretty sentimental. But I think that it, the poem does do more to make me feel like bad for the yeah. mother rather than appreciate what she's going through and like her you know journey with motherhood um yeah and i don't want to feel bad for her. i want to say like wow like kudos to you you're you're a mother you're doing great things um and it's like a lot of this um i like it makes sense to me even though i'm not a mother um like i have many many mothers <laughs> in my family um and i do hear, like um like looking at this um last stanza we're saying um i mean i'm not sure what it is that she's complaining about or wants to complain about but when she says listen to listen to when listen to her when she speaks to her repeated stories those rehearsed and practice complaints um and so like that part right there like reminds me like okay this the character in this poem is supposed to be someone who's relatable and real and how we all have like those moments where we're like practicing something we want to complain to someone about but then when we see that we never really say it um and so i think about times that i've heard like different mothers like almost like border on complaining about motherhood but mm-hmm. then you know at the same time it's like well I still love my kids but like, <laughs> you know like like you know like what like all the things that um mothers would say so I think this is like a heightened account of like what motherhood is and it's like you know it's like you're sensitized to everything like and everything is just so I guess that's that's where I sort of have the problem is that like I don't like the women who I know who are deeply invested in motherhood and whose like identity is very profoundly inflected and informed by their roles as mothers. They don't have rehearsed and practiced complaints. It's not it's not, oh God, they're going to tell me that same story again. Like it's, it's actually really compelling. Like, I mean, I actually, like, I mean, I, I feel like for the women I know and, and for my, and I, I will not, I wrote a book about my mother. I won't talk about my mother. Um, but I, I don't know, like it, that, that's where it felt really flattening to me. Like, I don't mm-hmm. feel like, I, I feel like I have this sense of this kind of like generic middle-class carpool doctor housekeeping. Yeah. Um, and I don't get, a full person mm. and in, and it feels to me like at the end where it's the most beautiful it's still kind of doing this genericizing work instead of giving me a kind of actual mother but it, 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 other people don't feel that way so no 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 i i absolutely get the generic aspect i hate yeah. to use that word but yeah mm. you know mm-hmm. see the, the, the ford escape with somebody else's as joseph pointed out there is <laughs> we don't see anything of the a mom a specific mom i still feel like and i don't want to get too cheesy about it but yes the, like the spikes of loneliness are real when it happens but for me they don't compare 
I mean, you, you also have to account for the spikes of joy that you get because those, mm. those moments of the day that cancel out the rest and are, and I don't know, I feel like anytime I get complaining about being a parent, like the stuff that I can't do or this or that or the traffic or whatever, all the stuff, I, a voice and says, inside my head says, oh, shut up. You signed up for this. <laughs> this is your, like, this is, this was part of your plan. And this is what something you did on your own. Mm. Right. You know, and like, and then I, then I have to deal with it. <laughs> it's not right. easy, but you deal with it. Yeah. All right. I think we're ready to vote. Yeah. 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 Ready. Yeah. One, two, three. Thank you, Gabrielle Trebeau, but we're not going to take this one. Um, So, yeah, there's a lot to respect in here, um, ultimately. Uh, So my take on my kids being older now and me not being in any carpool lines is I've been sleeping with the windows open recently because the weather's been so pleasant to do that. And when Mm. moms are walking their kids to school and everybody is so loud, I still lay there in my bed and I roll over and I go, son of a bitch. That's so <laughs> to the loneliness. I'm like, oh, thank God I am not out there walking my kids to school. And when that <laughs> I that obnoxious, they're like yelling. Uh, you know. Children are awful. <laughs> awful. They're just so loud. I mean, have so much energy. I had I once had a um I once had a job teaching children, like fifth and sixth graders, and I had an assistant. And they and I was like, I've never had an assistant before. And I was like, that's wonderful, but what do I need an assistant for? And her job was to run them. Her job was to what? She would take them outside and run them and like do these like, you know, energy releasing games. We had like nine million variations of tag. And she would take them out and run them, and then they would kind of like burn off all that extra energy and then come back inside and be able to work again. But it was just like, oh my God, this is horrifying. Oh, it's really true. I, you know, here's a, here's a uh, mother's tip or parenting tip. I should definitely say parenting tip. Take your kids to Home Depot because the aisles are really, really wide. (laughs) Honestly, Home Depot is the funnest place I've ever gone. (laughs) Like I used to be my dad. And then not only are the, like the aisles really wide, they're like slippery because of like all the like, parenting tips this is great i'm so glad we have that connection because i always felt like am i putting the children at risk you know this place with power tools and ladders go run be free (laughs) (laughs) on rainy day yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that I, I will admit that's the only thing you know how like you're like oh this will make sense to you when you're older um the only thing that makes sense to me now that i'm older is my like the ability to spend like an hour looking at vanities i just be like oh, that's a nice sink oh look at that sink oh what about that sink like, <laughs> as a child i was like this is you i i don't understand why we're doing this these are the most boring things i've ever seen. like is there an interesting sink no <laughs> no such thing as an interesting thing. Sink. There is sink. Uh, oh my oh, lord! Um, so- I, I will also say. I will also say, and this may this may be um, 
this this may be betraying too much. My, I, sp- I I believe that I spent much more time waiting for my parents than they spent waiting for me. <laughs> the story that I, the practice of rehearsed story that I will tell you is that my parents once told me that I was, I was working and they're like, okay, so close up the library, buy a pizza. We'll meet you there at nine at 11 mm-hmm. o'clock. They drove up in a new car. <laughs> <laughs> they literally told me to go somewhere and then they went and bought a car <laughs> and then they came and picked me up. Listen, you have your fabulous car. I think when you go to buy the car, it takes much longer than they anticipated. I'm sure they didn't expect to. This wasn't their first car. This wasn't the first time they'd been to that rodeo. I love that they said, go buy a pizza. Yeah, right? buy a so pizza. Like, you're like standing there for An two hour hours. An hour after the pizza place is closed. Okay. I am Although, although I will say in fairness, I was a 15 minute walk from home. Mm. <laughs> so my parents had told me to be there. So I was there. Oh, it was pre-cell phones. You couldn't text. Yes, yes. In the time That's before funny. cell phones. I was just telling somebody the other night, my parents were like, you know, very 50s, 60s, madmen kind of parents. And they, um, my father would walk in the door and they would have a cocktail and nobody was allowed to talk to them for about 45 minutes wow. every single night. Did, every did you mix the cocktail? My mom would have dinner completely ready and okay. then my father would go sit and she would have a Manhattan and he would have a martini and they would have a half an hour by themselves. And then we would all have dinner together. What do you think of that? It sounds really civilized. Well, <laughs> we would be waiting. <laughs> the team of Mad Men is playing in my head. <laughs> oh, yeah, they both smoked for when I was really young, and I can remember um, the cigarettes and the cocktails and thinking, hmm. But, you know, that's a nice little lesson, really, that they took that time for themselves. I love yeah. that part of that story. Yeah. So, so anything making anybody happy this week? Anybody reading anything great other than me? I can't talk about reading. One day I will. Honey season starts. Who? Honey Christmas season. Apples. Oh, now we're oh, nice. apples. <laughs> yeah. Right. He was on the peaches earlier, listeners. Got my last box. So the National Book Award long list just came out. Yeah. Oh, cool. Year of an hour ago. So for poetry. Yeah. Uh, Frank Bedart. Uh, collective nice. poems. Nice. Um, Chen Chen, When I Grow Up, mm. I Want to Be a List of Further Possibilities. Mm. Leslie Harrison, The Book of Endings. Marie Howe, Magdalene. And by the way, I'm reading that book right now and it is fantastic. Oh, nice. um, Laura Kosicki, Where Now, New and Selected. Laylee Long Soldier, Whereas. Shane mm. McRae, In the Language of My Captor. Nice. Jared Santos, Square Inch Hours. Denez Smith, Don't Call mm. Us Dead. And Major Vang, Afterlife. Wow, bravo. That is the long list for poetry. So congratulations. Bravo. All of that one time. What? He was reading the nominations for Oh, I was like, I missed something. (laughs) Yeah, those are the poetry. That's the long list for the National Book Award for Poetry. He thought it was what you're reading right now. Oh, no. Oh, my God. No, that would, no. That's really funny. Yeah, well, um, yeah, we we can't go... (laughs) 
uh, we never know when we're going to be announcing these. I mean, I mean, uh, releasing these episodes. So we're not even right. sure. Um, oh, so this actually might not. This isn't news by the time. <laughs> right. <laughs> it actually is not news. Um, but but I, will see, do, I, I, I do feel like I have, a, I have a crisis of reading. Like I need to make, like I have not read it. I've read some of the books on this list. Um, and certainly I know all the names on this list, but um, mm-hmm. I need to do more to carve out more time to read. I am not reading enough. Yeah. yeah. And, and I'm feeling the impact of it. And it, mm-hmm. it makes me sad and angry. Oh, well, then you better get reading. I, I, yeah. I know that I'm not buying the Honeycrisp apples until the peaches are gone. Yes. I'm <laughs> on to the summer Last produce. Peaches. Yeah, none of the squashes or any, you know, I see that stuff and I'm like, no, no, no. Give me the tomatoes till they're gone. Give me the peaches. Mm. Mm. Um, oh, my goodness. Kathy, do you think maybe you could put tomatoes in your suitcase and bring them to Abu Dhabi when you come visit me in two weeks? <laughs> I don't know. Do you think I can? I don't know, but maybe that's a challenge, like a little Ziploc bag of tomatoes. <laughs> I mean, I have to say, tomatoes are gorgeous. <laughs> like, try to get them through security, see what happens. <laughs> um, honey girl. No. I'd <laughs> rather. Like bagels and tasty cakes. I'll give you a list. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm bringing two suitcases. Yes. Like, yes. Clearly. I Clearly. Mean, I really like to bring like full size toiletries. <laughs> <laughs> oh my. So, all right. T- dear, dear listeners, by the way, Sorry. Kathleen is, is coming to Abu Dhabi um, to do some work with uh, the seniors here. Um, she's going to be running a workshop talking about getting published in literary magazines. She's going to meet with my class, um, an undergraduate uh, first year students. They're in a class with me called Taste, Culture, and the Self. Um, and we are going to do a tutorial meeting with them. And they are soon to be listeners of the slush pile. So oh. hello, Mike. My students, my dear, dear NYU Abu Dhabi students, greetings to you. Well, now we got to make sure we release this one. Um, <laughs> we are now talking about all this tough stuff. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 But yeah, yeah, no, I'm really excited and I'll smuggle everything I possibly can. <laughs> Very good. I've been out of that country for five years now, so. Um, Has it been five years? It's been five years. This is my fifth year. This yeah. Is fifth year, yep. She just started yeah. fifth year. So crazy. Um, right? All right, guys. I think we should wrap it up and we should uh, remind our listeners to share and listen and comment and um, use the hashtag uh, tripod. Uh, T R Y P O D when you share and um, follow us on any platform that you like best and keep reading thank you Woo.